Welcome to the Martinskirk Podcast, a publication of sermons and lessons from Trinity Reformed Church of Martinsburg. Trinity Reformed exists to declare the victory of Jesus Christ through worship and practice to the ends of the earth. To learn more about our congregation, visit martinskirk.com. Let me go ahead and read Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 37 once again. Keep it fresh in our minds, and then I'll pray. And when they, uh, now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who, was, who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And may these words from the book of Acts Be received by faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. And may we bear witness to the the resurrection of our Lord in our lives, in our daily vocations. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Now another word for love is charity. I'm sure you've heard this before. If you have a King James Bible, it's littered throughout, throughout the scriptures. Another word for love is charity. You know, when we see one doing charity, we can see love in action, works of love being exhibited. How many times have you heard critics of the church describe us as as lacking charity, maligning churches for not actually loving people? Right? If you actually loved people, you wouldn't meet on Sundays or you wouldn't tithe to the church. You'd you'd open up a soup kitchen or a homeless shelter and you'd dedicate all your time to service of others. And we know that kind of reasoning is rather silly, but there is truth to putting love to action. We must put love to action. In John chapter 13, Jesus says, By this all, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Love for one another. Love can be witnessed. It can be seen. Otherwise, how would those outside the church see that the love that we have for one another, if it can't be exhibited, if you can't see it, if it's not tangible or palpable. So in order to love, you exhibit something for others. But notice here that those outside of the church will know that we are disciples of Jesus, not by our love for those outside, but our love for one another. The love exhibited within the church itself. So soup kitchens, outreach projects, street preaching, all those things are good, all those things are right, and we should be doing those things, but they do not prove that we are disciples of Jesus. Many liberal churches, for example, that have just rejected the gospel outright do many good things for many people. They do things for the less fortunate. The atheistic political powers tout their charity and love for those less fortunate than them. For the least of these. 
But this does not show that they are disciples of the truth, that they are followers of Jesus. The love that we have for one another exhibits that. But why is that? Why is it the love that we have for one another and not the love for those outside? Well, charity for for one another shows the world that we are united, that we are in unity, and what true unity actually looks like. It shows what life outside of the divisions of selfish desires and sin actually looks like. In other words, love for one another shows the unity of the kingdom of God. It shows the resurrected life of Christ. It shows new life. And after Pentecost, the church receives the spirit of love, the spirit of charity. And this spirit unites us around the word of God. And the church is shown to have one heart and one tongue. So in Acts chapter 4, when we get there, we see an outward expression of that spirit of love in the charity of the saints. The apostles' lives were witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus, and the saints embody that resurrection through their love for one another. Now, the Old Testament saints had an example of this resurrection life always near to them as well. The priesthood of the Levites was that example. Levites If you'd like to describe them this way, they had one foot in heaven and one on earth. They were servants who aided Israel not only to worship God, but to receive his inheritance. And because of this, they had no earthly inheritance themselves. They gave it all up to serve Israel and the Lord. And Deuteronomy 18 shows us this. It says this, The priests, the Levites, all the tribe of Levi, shall have no part nor inheritance with Israel. They shall eat of the offerings of the Lord made by fire and his portion. Therefore, they shall have no inheritance among their brethren. The Lord is their inheritance, as he said to them. Amen. So they participated in the inheritance of the Lord. In a a sort of already but not yet sense. They were a picture of Israel's future office. And eventually all of Israel would be priests with an inheritance in the Lord able to give up their earthly treasures for their treasures in heaven. And this is what Pentecost empowered the church to do. Acts chapter 2 records the Spirit of God being poured out on all peoples of all nations. And they were given tongues of fire which united the people around the divine word of God. And then they sold their possessions as anyone had need. Now that, that seems out of place. They'd receive, they'd receive the Spirit of God. They'd be united by this heavenly tongue. And then they would give up their possessions. Well, this was showing the unity of the Spirit in their love for one another. They showed each other that they had been ordained priests in the household of God. Their inheritance was in heaven. And so they could, de- they could depart with their earthly possessions readily and easily. And this is not as many liberal scholars or talk show hosts say that this is the, the communistic side of Jesus or his, or his followers. They did not melt all their gold together and divide up all their land and distribute them evenly among the disciples. They sold their property and possessions on a case-by-case basis, and whatever situation may arise, they gave as was needed. It was voluntary generosity. It was not compulsory. And this is what it means to have all things in common. It does not mean that we all must live lives like monks, separated from any earthly riches. 
but that we would be ready and willing to, be, to, to give those up for the needs of God's people whenever those needs arise. And this first century church would have many needs that arise. They would have, they would have to practice this open-handedness of unity as much as they could because a time would come when they would need to flee from the wrath of God on Jerusalem. There would be no more need for riches, no more need for land or housing. All of it would be destroyed. So they had to practice this open-handedness and this generosity so that when the time came, they'd be able to give it up. Riches wouldn't do much good with the Roman army knocking at your door. And not only was this practice to demonstrate a a Levitical servanthood by serving and helping those in need, but it was also a time of preparation so that the church would be able to give up their possessions to save themselves and to save others. The old age was ending. The old age was ending. It It was their job to look with hope to the age to come. So they had all things in common. And like the Levites of the Old Covenant, the church had the great grace of God upon them so that they could fulfill their work, their work of love and service to one another. Psalm 133, which we recited this morning, is actually a beautiful picture of this. If you'll notice some of the imagery here. It starts off with the unity that we have and the brotherhood that we have in Christ. It says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is for a brethren to dwell together in unity. But then it begins to talk about what this unity looks like. What this unity is. It's like the precious oil running from the beard and garments of Aaron, who's the first priest of the Levites. And like the dew descending upon Mount Hermon and Mount Zion. And the psalmist equates this beautiful unity... This this oil of anointing and this dew of Zion with eternal life. Life everlasting. Life forevermore. And at Pentecost, this new people of God received this same spirit of unity, this same anointing, and the same heavenly dew in the mountains of Jerusalem. The Lord had consecrated a new priesthood in the order of Jesus Christ. And this priesthood was led by the apostles who, like Luke says, were witnesses of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus with great power. The apostles were the last great prophets who performed signs and wonders in the name of Jesus and exhibited the great power of the risen Lord. So the new life found in the risen Christ was evidently seen in their works of mercy and charity. The ministry of the apostles was centered on the death and resurrection of Christ. And the kingdom's power is in the spirit of this resurrection. It's in the spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the grave. And having been given this spirit, they displayed the eternal life of God through wonders and signs. The heavenly kingdom was seen in the the lives of the apostles and the lives of the saints. They had one foot in heaven And one on earth. But the same grace that was given to the apostles was given to the multitude, it was given to the church. Now, of course, we don't exhibit the the resurrection of Christ in the same way. We don't perform signs and wonders like the apostles did. That, That age is over. But we do show it in ordinary means. We show the resurrected life. 
through ordinary means. The grace of God was upon them all. And the way the world saw this was through their love and charity to one another. Their love and unity were like the precious oil of Aaron, causing their faces to shine. Their love was like the refreshing dew of heavenly water on the mountains of God. Their glory was in their charity and service. And this is how they knew, or this is how the world knew, that these Christians had the grace of God. Through their love and service for one another. And in Numbers chapter 35, Moses shows how the cities of the new land, this new earth that they would inherit, their inheritance, were structured. Now this is important. I wonder if this seems out of, out of place here, talking about the, the structure of the cities in Canaan. But I want you to pay attention here. The tribes of Israel would set up various cities, usually sanctuary cities throughout the land. And since the Levites did not have a land of their own, they were set up to camp around these cities. So walls would be constructed around these various locations. And this was for their protection. And the Levites would encircle these cities outside of the walls. And there they would camp there. They would raise their cattle and their, their herds that were used for their sacrifices. So to get into the city, you had to pass through the Levites. You had to pass through this priestly tribe. And that included friend or foe. Friend or foe had to pass through the Levites. They gave up their safety, their livelihoods, their lives in service to Israel and the tribes. And the Christians of the first century were living uh, Levitical lives like this. Lives not concerned with amassing earthly wealth, not concerned with power, but lives in service to one another. Lives on the front lines, willing to give up all their possessions for the kingdom of God and for one another. And again, Luke describes their service to one another rather aptly. He says, nor was there anyone among them who lacked For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed them them to each as anyone had need. If anyone had need, every able Christian had the responsibility to fulfill their priestly duty. They were protecting one another. And Luke gives us the example of Barnabas in verses 36 and 37. Barnabas is a Levite. A Levite. And his name means son of encouragement or son of consolation. Now names are important in the Bible as well. And where people come from is also important. Barnabas is from Cyprus, which is a country whose name means a love blossoming or a blossoming love. So a man from the country of love is a consolation for those around him. And he's also a Levite. So Barnabas is a picture of the role of the church in the world. The church is to be a consolation for the weak, a city of blossoming love, a heaven on earth. One that protects those more vulnerable than than herself. And this is how the church is the kingdom of God on earth. In the new heaven and in the new earth, there will be no more suffering. There will be no more pain. There will be no more want, no more poverty. But our task as priests in this heavenly kingdom is to give one another a taste of this heavenly life. And we get that taste through our help, our consolation for others, 
through our works of mercy and charity. Our Lord Jesus' Spirit has empowered the church for this work by uniting us by the grace of God to one another. He has given all of us various gifts, various blessings to be used within this heavenly city. And when we do use these gifts and blessings and service to one another, we give witness to the resurrection of Christ. We give witness to a new, everlasting life. So what does this mean for us now? How do we, how do we take all these, these images and this, this interesting information? What do we do with this? Are we going to have an offering one Sunday where we bring all our deeds to our homes and, and all of that to, to divide it amongst us uh, as anyone has need? No, we're not going to do that. But first... What we first must do is understand that we are a people marked by our oneness. We are a people marked by our oneness. Paul tells us, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And our Lord Jesus prayed that we will be one as he and his Father are one. Now, this does not mean that we must always agree that we have to have the same mind as in every thought that we have must be aligning with everyone else. To have one heart and one soul does not mean that we must all be the same kind of person. We are all different. We have different giftings. We have different personalities. We are different parts of the body of Christ. And that difference is good and it's purposeful. God has has ordained in his good pleasure to make us all different, and that is good. It does mean, however, that we should have all things in common. All things in common. We should recognize that if one suffers, we all suffer. We are to bear their burdens. We are to lighten their loads. Our lives should be given to one another because we share one spirit and we share one body together. And this is what it means to be priests of God. Not only do we pray for one another, not only do we worship with each other and we serve one another in the service, but we are to serve one another in our needs, in our physical needs. And there are some in the church who have been blessed by the Lord more abundantly than others and will continue to be blessed with material wealth. And this isn't a bad thing. This is good. This is a good thing. Money and possessions are truly a blessing. They're not, they're not necessarily curses. And there are some, to no fault of their own, who will never be materially wealthy. They work hard. They, they do all the things that the Lord requires of them. But in God's providence, they do not amass a bunch of physical wealth. We are all called to work hard. We are all called to do the best we can with what the Lord gives us, to try to improve upon what God has blessed us with. But we cannot hold on to our possessions as if God owes it to us, as if we earned it all, because that's not the case. They are all blessings of God. A church who neglects the service of those less fortunate is not a united church. Now again, this is not a passage advocating for some communistic sharing of wealth. Luke is not saying that these Christians were forced 
to sell all of their land and give up their wealth to be evenly distributed amongst the brethren. There were many situations that arose in which Christians suffered monetarily or physically in the first century, and the resurrection life of Christ was displayed in the Christian church, meeting those needs as they arose. So helping your brothers and sisters in need displays unity in heart and soul. It shows that the grace of God is truly upon us. It shows the love of Christ. And it also shows, it also shows the world that the life of the world is coming. That there is new life on the horizon. That there is something to hope for. It is a witness to the resurrection of our Lord. Our world is envious and jealous of those who have more. Our world steals from the rich and calls it charity. Our world's view of a new earth is one in which a few men dictate how everyone is to be blessed and to distribute them as they wish. This is not the Christian way. But there's also another ditch to fall into. We can often view our possessions as gifts of God only to us. Again, like we deserve them. Like we earned them all. They are ours, and if anyone needs anything, we're not obligated to give them up. I get to decide what I do with my money and my possessions, one might say. Well, the Lord has given each of us a household to manage and to be responsible for. This is true. But it is also true that the Lord is the one who owns our possessions. He is the one who owns our money and even our own bodies. We are not our own. He decides how you are to use your gifts. And he has shown us time and time again that our duties are to our families and to one another in the church. We are not isolated individuals. We are not to treat the life of the church in a communistic way, but we are also not to treat it in an overly libertarian way, to use political language here. Our money and belongings are given to us to steward well. And these gifts are given to us so that we can bless our families and bless one another. That's what it means to steward. If you make more and more money, more and more wealth, God has given those to you to bless others. The new life of the kingdom of God is a life wholly given to the service of the king and to his people. Now we can show this charity and unity in various ways. And one way we show it is in the tithes and offerings on Sunday. And we all know how that works in our worship together. We don't need to talk about that very much. Our worship in spirit and in truth shows that we have everything in common. That's one of the reasons why we offer our tithes. is because it's showing that our, our possessions are the Lord's. And he is due our possessions. Our Lord has required, us, required of us a tenth of our income for the work of the church, for benevolence to one another, and for the help of the poor in the world. But we are also to show the love of Christ through hospitality, through works of mercy, and through prayer. And all of these works when done in faith, is a glimpse of the heavenly life. So buying those diapers for that family who needs diapers gives that family relief. It gives them rest in, a, in an odd sort of way, but it gives them help. Helping a brother with his car repairs lightens their burdens. We've experienced that before. Serving one another in love gives hope 
to those who are suffering or in various trials. It gives hope because it bears witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It gives us a taste of the world to come. It brings the heavenly consolation that we receive here this morning into our lives in real and intangible ways. And this is the duty of a priest in the household of God. It is the duty of all of us here this morning, as best as you can, to bear witness to the resurrection life of Christ through our unity in the Spirit and love for one another. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.